we're dealing with a very sophisticated adversary. At this stage, we've seen substantial evidence that points to the Russian Foreign Intelligence Agency, and we have found no evidence that leads us anywhere else. So we'll wait for the rest of the formal steps to be taken by the government and others. But there's not a lot of suspense at this moment in terms of what we're talking about. That's Brad Smith, the CEO of Microsoft, talking about the Solar Winds hack, which is the greatest hack in the history of hacking. Uh, remember, we talked about it quite a bit two, three weeks ago when 60 Minutes featured it. That's when I learned the most about it, how devastating it was. And I think they talked to him on that program. Microsoft has, I forget how many people dedicated to it now, 500 engineers or something like that trying to figure out how to stop it because it's ongoing. It's still happening. Right. Around and the I'm world. sorry, he's the CEO these days of Microsoft? Uh, president of Microsoft. I don't know if there's a distinction okay. between those two. Okay, and fine. also currently serving as chief legal officer. Okay. Um, but uh, I remember uh, him saying on 60 Minutes about how this was high-quality hack. This, was, this took some serious, serious doing. Well, here's some more of that. The scale of this attack, or hack, or penetration, or whatever we should call it, At Microsoft, as we worked with customers that had been impacted by this, we stepped back and just analyzed all of the engineering steps that we had seen. And we asked ourselves, how many engineers did we believe had worked on this collective effort? And the answer we came to was at least a thousand. I should say at least a thousand very skilled, capable engineers. So we haven't seen this kind of sophistication matched with this kind of scale. A thousand of the best coders that exist on planet Earth working for Putin there in Russia to put this thing together, most likely. Wow, all I can do is sit there and and sit here and say, wow, I can't comprehend that at all. It takes a thousand skilled engineers to launch something like this? That's that's wild. Super sophisticated. They, uh, I remember on 60 Minutes, I'm talking about people who started looking into it, just marveling at it, just, you know, like a work of art mm. on, on how it was put together. And, so um, it wasn't one 400 pound guy on his bed? Definitely not. And so, uh, when are we going to start treating these like actual attacks and that sort of thing? Well, he goes on. But there's one other factor that I do believe puts this in a different category from what we have seen. And I think even with a thoughtful consideration, it is appropriate to conclude even now, this was an act of recklessness, in my opinion. Why? Well, in part, I think Chairman Warner put it very well. The world relies on the patching and updating of software. We rely on it for everything. We rely on it not only for the safety and health of our computers, we rely on it for our physical infrastructure, for hospitals and roads and airports, because they all run on software. To disrupt, to damage, to tamper with that kind of software updating process is, in my opinion, to tamper with what is, in effect, the digital equivalent of our public health service. It puts the entire world at greater risk. And it was done, I think one must acknowledge, in a very indiscriminate way. To seek to plant malware and distribute it to 18,000 organizations around the world is, in truth, an act without clear analogy or precedent. We've seen this done in Ukraine, but we haven't seen it done quite like this. It's a little bit like a burglar who wants to break into a 
single apartment, but manages to turn off the alarm system for every home and every building in the entire city. Everybody's safety is put at risk, and that is what we're grappling with here. The private sector arguing for treating these things like, a, you know, uh, like a more of a crime, more of an attack by another mm-hmm. nation. Well, I love the cut of his jib. I love his attitude. I love his the, the strength of his convictions. Uh, one more short clip um, worth hearing. It is time not only to talk about but to find a way to take action to impose in an appropriate matter some kind of notification obligation on entities in the private sector. And so, of course, you know, it's not a typical step when somebody comes and says, place a new law on me, put it on ourselves, put it on our customers. But I think it's the only way we're going to protect the country. And I think it's the only way we're going to protect the world. So is he talking about when these companies get hacked and they keep it a secret for six months or nine months? Right, for PR reasons. Sometimes selling their stock. Yes. uh, Before they let (laughs) the world know that they got hacked. Um, but yeah, letting us know right away so that, oh, what was it? The Experian? Is that the one where, um, you know, it, it damaged, it could have damaged so many of us, quite possibly did, uh, but they didn't let us know for many, many months. Right. You know, I think that's probably a really good idea, and, and I'll let you head up that committee. I'm really, uh, interested in the question of, um, uh, repercussions of exacting a price for this sort of attack. Well, the world is still wrestling with this, and we're we're the most vulnerable target because we got the most everything. We got the biggest right. economy. We got the most computers. We got the most everything. Well, I think it would be it would be crazy to wait until the devastating power grid attack or uh, you know a successful poisoning of a water source. Witness that little town in Florida last week or the week before. I, we gosh, that's a serious conversation we need to have. Maybe right after the Tiger Woods coverage is done. <laughs> when do we, and to what extent do we recognize that a giant cyber attack like this is an attack on the homeland? And what wouldn't they stop or at least slow down if we if we met it with normal military response? You hacked into our computers. We just blew up the building where the hackers were. You hacked into this. Now we just killed the scientists that did it. Yeah, yeah. What would be uh, wrong with that? That's what we're best at. I think part of the problem is, and and again, I'm not pleading for fairness. I'm pleading for the United States to win because fairness is an illusion when it comes to international uh, relations or so-called international law. It's it's the the will of the strong. The problem is we're doing a lot of it as well. And so if we say, you know, there's a moral justification for for blowing up, uh, you know, a city block because you've been hacking, well, then we might find our own city blocks blown up, and then we're just hurling ordinance back and forth to see who can kill the other. Hmm. Um, so it's possible we're ooching around in all of Russia's computers, still in, stealing military secrets and that sort of stuff? Best we can. Best we can. Far more than possible. I'd be shocked if that wasn't the case. Yeah, I hope we yeah. are. I hope we are. That's what that's what I've been saying this for years. I hope we're good at this. I hope we're really good at this. On Tuesday, the White House said uh, they are working to fine tune attribution for the hack, and it would be weeks, not months, before we respond. Whatever that means. weeks. Okay, all right, that's encouraging. At a time My- of our choosing, we always say yes. Yes. So we're not going to ask them when would be convenient. Okay. <laughs> when would be convenient so- for us to uh, respond? Tuesday. We'll, we'll respond on Tuesday. Tuesday's good for me. 
Okay. Uh, you know, I, at the risk of being a guy who cites a, a three-home run game uh, five years ago, that Stuxnet hack oh, yeah. that we unleashed on Iran was right. of amazing brilliance and sophistication, just clever. I hope our game is that good. I hope we have the Chinese electric grid by the Sacagawea in, in the same way that it would <laughs> appear that uh, I, I just decided to steer around it at the very end there, probably poorly. Um <laughs> In the same way that they perhaps have ours in their uh, gentle grasp. But, why? Uh, why? <laughs> well, would you like know. to just start over on the metaphor? <laughs> you know, I really would. <laughs> I really would. Jack, let me tell you about 105-year-old Lucia DeClerc, the oldest resident of her New Jersey nursing home. She tested positive for the Chinese bat fever on her 105th birthday. Wow. One day after a second vaccine shot, but uh, she's fine. Uh, she's feeling good. Uh, survived the coronavirus, and she's back on her, well, I almost said back on her feet. I don't know that she's on her feet at age 105. But, uh, of course, when you come across somebody like this, you have to ask, how did you make it to 105? And she has a couple of answers. Don't tune out after the first answer, right? The first one is, Prayer, 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 she offers. One step at a time, no junk food. Okay, praying and eating healthy. But That's surviving- pretty good. It's, you know, yeah, basically, uh, uh, well, you either believe in the God thing or it's at least meditation and uh, in eating right. Sure, I can healthy believe Healthy spirit, healthy body. Who could uh, argue with that? And who could argue with this? And every morning, I eat nine gin-soaked golden raisins. <laughs> you fill a In the jar. morning, an eye-opener? <laughs> you fill the jar with the gin. Hair of the and dog. And put the raisins in there. Then you eat nine raisins a day after it sits for nine days. Gin-soaked raisins. How long has she been doing the hair of the dog that bit you? <laughs> First thing in the morning. <laughs> she said she's eaten that each morning for most of her life. So she's drunk all day. It wouldn't her- take a lot of uh, a lot of booze. I'm guessing she weighs eighty pounds. Well, a gin. How much? How much gin can a raisin, one of those big golden raisins, hold? I don't know. After nine days, probably a lot. Well, how many raisins did you say it was? Nine. That's got to be like a, taking a shot. I'm just oh, close, close to taking a shot. So she takes Thins a shot the blood. booze every morning. Yeah, why not? Why not? Her children and grandchildren are called the ritual is just one of Ms. DeClerc's endearing lifelong habits, like drinking aloe juice straight from the container and brushing her hair, I'm sorry, not her hair, her teeth, with baking soda. She didn't have a cavity until she was ninety nine. Uh, wow! Um, did she? Uh, does she do any other drinking through the day? <laughs> any other day drinking? Now they have a six pack of Bud Light right after lunch, <laughs> and then I have eleven vodka soaked green grapes <laughs> right around eleven thirty. Fifth of Hennessy. <laughs> and then I have one of those water bottles <laughs> filled with gin. Just before dinner time. <laughs> you know why I live this long? Because I don't give a crap. Because I'm high, high, high. I don't know my own name by bedtime. 
So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Biatches. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So probability of precipitation, or POPs as we call it for short, it's a pretty simple equation. Confidence times coverage, okay? Most often this is used for coverage, so let's say that I'm 100% sure that 30% of the forecast area will see at least some measurable rain. Then I'd forecast a 30% chance for rain, right? Basically to boil it down, if you stay in one spot all day and there's a 30% chance for rain, then you have a 30% chance for rain. If you move around a little bit throughout the day, your chances will go up. Important to remember, uh, the percentage has nothing to do with how much rain falls. You could have a 10% chance for rain and still end up with flooding if you get caught under a rogue thunderstorm okay um, wow i was hoping i would follow that that was a meteorologist explaining what the percentage chance of rain means right I, did you follow that i mostly so I if he's hearing a, it again yeah, can honestly. you play at least the first part play again so probability of precipitation or pops as we call it for short it's a pretty simple equation confidence times coverage okay most often this is used for coverage so let's say that i'm 100 percent sure that 30 percent of the forecast area will see at least some measurable rain then i'd forecast a 30 percent chance for rain okay, right basically to boil okay. it so he's a hundred percent sure that 30 percent of his broadcast area will get rain so if he was 50% sure that 30% would get rain, that would be a 15% chance of rain okay. for the whole area. All right. But how big is uh, the area? Yeah. I don't know. Am I, do I need to know that when I'm factoring this in? Or does right. it matter how they, far I live away from where I'm watching the news? What if they get a new transmitter? Then all of a sudden it's not a 30% chance of rain. It's a 20% chance of rain because they can be heard in the hinterlands. Yeah. That's what confuses me. Yeah. Hmm. They're all liars anyway. <laughs> Meteorologists are liars to the bone. Clear to the bone. It's a certain sort of person. It's like um, serial killers, kleptomaniacs, various people like that. You're just, I think you're born that way with that kink. And then you get into meteorology. Fire starters. You, and it's, for some reason, the, it's the lying about the weather every night that keeps them going. You think they just take delight in misleading yeah. people? Yeah. They're, they're psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Just are psychopaths in your head. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Speaking of things going on in, in, in heads, I think my dog has lost its mind. I will <laughs> describe his symptoms in uh, in a little while. Um, I have an actual Tiger Woods question, though I have mocked since the opening of the show and been angry about the amount of coverage. How it's shoved aside coverage of everything else happening in the world. Yeah, we don't claim to be like your hard news outlet for everything that's happening in the world. We talk about all kinds of stuff, always have. I think you know that if you listen to the show. But I would like there to be a news show that is just news. There's got to be a market for that. I thought mm-hmm. Brett Baer's special report was the closest thing to it I've found. He spent over half of his hour on Tiger Woods yesterday. And that's that was terrible. at a time when they had no information. I don't think he should. If he had died yesterday, I don't think he gets half of the hour. That seems crazy to me. Maybe on Golf Central he does, but not on the hard news, please. But when you've got no info, what's the point? But now we do have some info. 
Um, and you've looked into it because you are a golf fan and all that sort of stuff. And I get why, if you're a fan of golf, you, you'd, you'd be interested in this. But just um, give me this if I start talking about golf too much because I'm prone to going off. Just give me one of those. And you've had two hips replaced and that sort of thing. It just seems I to have. me just like g- glimpsing at some of the things they were doing to his legs with pins and screws and all that sort of stuff. It'd be, it, at his age, it's going to be a long time before he could even possibly be up to like a normal human being, let, let alone an elite athlete. I think it will be many, many months until he can execute a full golf swing. God, it may change so. it forever. Yeah. You want to hear what he, what happened to his leg, or is that too much? Uh, well, I don't know. How gruesome is it? What did you say well, it's it begins called? with comminuted open fractures. Okay. Affecting both the upper and lower portions of the tibia and fibula bones were stabilized by inserting a rod into the tibia, said the doctor in charge. Are those the Addition- big bones above the knee or below the knee? Below. Below, okay. Above would be your femur. Okay. Additional injuries to the bones of the foot and ankle were st- was stabilized with a combination of screws and pins. Trauma to the muscle and soft tissue of the leg required surgical release of the coverings of the muscles to relieve yeah. pressure due to smell. A comminuted fracture means the bone is broken into more than two pieces. Oh. Open means a break in the skin. God, I would think it's going to be a long time before he's even close to walking normal, let alone yeah. being an elite athlete. Terrible injury. Drive carefully, folks. Slow down. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you watch the landing of the Mars rover, there was a secret message in the landing. Did you know that? What? Did you watch it? No, Joe. Joe is not fascinated by exploration. <laughs> um, the parachute had a secret message in it. Apparently, you see the parachute. Yeah, when you're watching the video, and it had a secret code in it somehow, and the internet figured it out. Yeah, uh, I keep meaning to watch it. I just keep forgetting. It's worth watching. the The phrase "dare mighty things" is encoded in the red and white parachute somehow. I don't quite know how that is. Semaphore or Morse code or something like that. And the person that put it on there said, oh, Internet, is there anything you can't do? Having figured out the code in six hours. <laughs> it had to do with the two colors of the parachute and, like, the the zeros and ones of coding and something. Some, I don't know. Smart people went farther oh, than I would. I like that. Oh, Internet, is there anything you can't do? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wanted to touch on this very briefly before we get into other stuff, but we've had a, a conversation so far today on the show about how, you know, the, the Tiger Woods thing, with all due respect to, to his shattered leg and his greatness as a golfer, I mean, the, the the amount of coverage, the amount of air it's sucked out of news coverage is just ridiculous given all the important things going on in the world. And, uh, you know, where do you get your good, solid news? And we've, we've, you know, you folks have contributed various ideas, and a lot of you have said from the Armstrong and Getty Show, which we appreciate very much. But I just want to make sure everybody is aware of this really insidious thing that's happening in the House of Representatives. And that was what happened on Monday. And this is not over by any means, but on Monday, you had a couple of House Democrats grilling cable news systems, some of the super giants, AT&T, Roku, Comcast, Verizon, asking why you are carrying Fox News or One America News Network or Newsmax, blaming the right-leading outlets for spreading misinformation in conspiracy theories. 
Nobody um, asked why is MSNBC being carried? Why why'd you have Michael Avenatti on every night claiming the Supreme Court justice is a gang rapist on your instance, newscast every single right. night? But that that's okay, I guess. Great example. The Democrats asked the content carriers if they plan to, quote, continue carrying Fox News, Newsmax, OAN. And if so, why? And then you have a number of uh, Congress people sending the message that we ought to uh, deplatform these channels. We ought to start attacking their advertisers. It's been very popular in left-wing Twitter, that sort of thing. And I'm telling you, folks, this is the fight of our lives. The fight of competing ideas versus silencing ideas. And, and I realize we as conservatives, we're fighting with one hand tied behind our back because for the most part, we refuse to engage in the silencing thing. Um, and I would ask you, stay on that high road because as soon as you weaponize that sort of thing, it'll be used against you. And it just it makes me crazy. Anyway, so uh, join us in that fight in any way you see fit. Moving along, Disney is talking very seriously about moving some of its operations from California, where they still can't open their theme parks, to Florida, joining the latest in a long line of of tech giants and then manufacturers and then others who are fleeing Cal Unicorni as fast as they can. In Florida, where their theme park is open. Yeah, right. Indeed. I'm sorry I left that unsaid, but it's definitely worth pointing out. Which is just amazing. It's just amazing that that has been the story through this most of this whole thing. You got two Disney properties, one closed, one open. Right, right. What, well, that, and that should have been the test bodies. case alone. Well, the, 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 the death that's resulted in Disney World and Epcot. Oh, the bodies. No, it's, it hasn't done anything. Uh, and I came across this great piece in American Institute for Economic Research. It's the the publishing arm of the Bastiat Society. You know, free minds, free people, that sort of thing. And it's, it's really terrific. It's written by, uh, Amelia Janaski, clever young woman. Florida and California are remarkably similar for their warm climates, beaches, tourist destinations, immigrant populations, and more. But both states could not be more different with respect to the management of the COVID-19 pandemic. Florida operates on close to zero pandemic related restrictions, whereas California maintains strict lockdown policies. In California, virtually all public schools are closed. I would point out, if I might interject, in defiance of the state's own policies, increasingly. They set a ridiculous threshold for opening, in spite of all the science. They reached that ridiculous threshold, and the teachers are still, the teachers' unions are still preventing the opening. But, getting back to the article, restaurants must follow unwavering capacity limits, travelers must quarantine for 10 days, and the list goes on. Meanwhile, Florida schools are all open for in-person instruction. Statewide restrictions do not exist for restaurants, and there is no travel quarantine implemented by the states. Shame All of- shame on the media for not drawing this comparison regularly and talking about it openly, you know, and say, here's where California's got it right, here's where Florida's got it right, back and forth. Just have a real good grown-up conversation about it, but shame on the media for not talking about this the whole damn year. Here, here. And listen, if you're new to the show, you might want to know, there are times when if, uh, you know, the, the folks we're rooting for screw up, we're going to tell you they screwed up. We're not just going to, you know, be parrots for our point of view. We're going to try to be honest because to our, to our point of view, if you are honest about your philosophy and when it messes up and how it could be improved, you get better. You get stronger. You get smarter. You can convince more people that this is the way to go. 
mindless cheerleading, I don't think does that. I'd read a, a great article about that actually recently. It had to do with Rush Limbaugh, but how Reagan was a, he was a great uh, creature for conservatism. He spoke outward to moderates, to liberals, and explained to them why this is better, and he did so with magnificent success. And to a large extent, conservatives and conservative medias kind of become inward-looking and in mm. preaching to the choir-ish. That's interesting. Uh, but more on that, I, I need to finish this thought on Florida, and that there's because there's a ton to this article, and it's great. But uh, So you got the, the super hardcore restrictions in Cal Unicornia, Florida wide open. All of these de- details point to Florida's current stringency score on the shutdown at 33 compared to California's almost 60. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, the media labels California Governor Newsom a lockdown fanatic. They call Governor DeSantis Death Santis for being too relaxed. The two governors are polar opposites in how they handle COVID, but their outcomes are peculiarly similar. In total, California experienced more cases per 100,000 people. Florida had slightly more deaths per 100,000 people. Uh, but um, if, you, if you weigh it all out over time, it's almost the same. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Almost eerily the same. Mm-hmm. We'll hit you with some of those statistics. After a quick word from our sponsor, Simply Safe, the best home security, but no long contracts, lower costs, and you don't have some guy with half his hind end showing doing a four hour install draw, drilling hills in your holes in your house. You can do it yourself. Set it up yourself in about thirty minutes. See, so order it. We'll tell you how to order it here in just a few minutes. It comes to your home. You set it up yourself in thirty minutes. Super easy. Then the Simply Safe professionals take over, monitoring your home 24-7, ready to send help the moment there's an alarm. 24-7 protection, the best protection you can get out there. They've won all kinds of awards with Simply Safe. And as Joe mentioned, you're not locked into a long-term contract if for some reason you decide you don't want to use it. And because you know us, you can get a free home security camera to add to that arsenal of cameras and sensors when you purchase the Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. It's really reasonably priced, too. You get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. Visit simplysafe.com slash Armstrong for your free security camera today. That's simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Okay, some of the numbers, behind the numbers. Um, one reason why Florida's had more deaths, but not cases, is that uh, older folks account for a larger portion of Florida's population. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a stat that gets left out all the time. That uh, Florida has so many old people and still um, was about the same as California spread out mm-hmm. over the year. It's amazing. Second largest 65-plus population, uh, but ranks number 27 for deaths in the U.S. The elderly in California, on the other hand, comprise 2% less of the state population. Still, California has worse outcomes with nursing homes. Uh, nursing home deaths at 2.27 deaths per 100. Florida, 0.72 per 100 hard to say why uh, but the the numbers are very very similar it's as if they were both uh, pursuing exactly the same policies even though they were almost polar opposites now here's the part that really gets interesting so you have similar covid outcomes the unemployment rate in florida was 6.1% last December. It takes a while to compile these statistics. 6.1%. California's 9%. Half again, higher unemployment rate in California. The gross... Uh, now, this is kind of confusing. The gross domestic product of each state, uh, the drop in California was larger than Florida, and the rise in the bounce-back quarter three 
was smaller than Florida. Another revealing factor, inbound and outbound migration. According to 2020 data collected from two moving companies, Florida is among the top states for inbound migration. Cal Unicornia ranks high for outbound migration. Uh, these follow longstanding trends, uh, taxes, cost of living, affordable housing, etc. Uh, Florida, conversely, attracting movers for uh, having no income tax, low housing prices, agreeable climate, that sort of thing. You know, I could, and there are a bunch that are weekly average retail and recreation mobility. I have all sorts of economic uh, numbers here. But the point is, Liberty kept the economy humming and had similar losses to draconian emergency powers wielded by a halfwit. <laughs> well, I hope if this ever happens again, people will look at these uh, comparisons and make the decisions based on that. Yeah. Well, you know, to boil it down to the very, very simple, and I'm, I'm addressing y'all, uh, everybody listening right now. Do you know how to protect yourself and your loved ones to the degree you think is necessary? Because some of you want to be very, very safe. You want to be very cautious for perhaps legitimate reasons. Some of you don't give a damn. You live your life, you know, a fishtailing around curves like Tiger Woods. <laughs> uh, do you know how to protect yourself and your family to the degree you think is proper? If the answer is yes, you have no need for a Gavin Newsom or a, a Andrew freaking Cuomo wielding their emergency powers from on high. They're, they're utterly superfluous. All they are is a is a, a clamp on your liberty. Don't take it. End of rant. Major development in the Bruce Springsteen DUI controversy. Oh, for goodness sakes. I thought we had real momentum there for a minute. <laughs> Um, and some important things that I want to talk about. Excellent. Um, uh, the vaccines that are out there are 100% effective. What? You know they're 100% effective. And yet another example of the media doing a horrible job of bringing us information we need. This has been known for quite some time. Right, and that's exactly the sort of thing that tends to support the need for emergency powers, the harem scare media reports. Right. So uh, all that stuff and much more on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 95% of President Biden's bill is not going to even be spent until 2022 and beyond. This isn't a coronavirus bill. Uh, this, this is a left of linen neo-socialist wish list. I mean, it just is. It is chock full of spending porn. They've got money for transit projects and bridges and language preservation. There you go. That's the colorful John Kennedy of Louisiana senator there talking about the giant stimulus bill that more and more people are realizing is a Democratic wish list. Uh, things they've wanted to do forever, never let a crisis go to waste. People are in a spending mood. Nobody understands what a trillion dollars means anymore. So let's jam this all through while we can. Uh, hey, you know what? Do we have that quick Kevin McCarthy be, Quick before the coronavirus pandemic is over, because then we won't be able to do it. Yeah, Sean, hit number 52 for me. This bill is too expensive and too expansive. You've listed a lot of things in there. And think about this. This is supposed to be a COVID bill. Only 9% of it goes to COVID. What they are doing is 
telling you the swamp is back. Everything you have warned your viewers about before the election is coming true in this bill. Well, I don't know about uh, a lot of it, but like, you know, I read the long article about the school portion, the $130 billion, uh, uh, the vast majority of which is going to get spent over the next seven years. Well, of course, first of all, they don't need the money to open the schools because there are plenty of schools that opened up without that money and are fine. They don't need Mm -hmm. the money at all. But the fact that it's spread out over the next seven years tells you everything you need to know. It's got nothing to do with the freaking uh, COVID. Yeah, it's just spending, period. I would assume there's a whole bunch of other stuff in there that's similar. Right. Well, as Kevin McCarthy put it, only 9% has anything to do with COVID. The rest is just spreading money around. The only reason I have any interest in this story, because I don't really care about celebrity news that much, it's just because I got railroaded by a park ranger once myself. So it makes me mad. So I'm happy to see that Bruce Springsteen's drunk drunk driving, reckless driving charges were dropped. And he has pled guilty to the least serious charge, which was drinking in an area where it was banned and was fined $540. If you remember, Mm. the story was he took a shot of tequila sitting on his motorcycle. And then the park ranger, who has police powers, said, if you drive off, I'm giving you a ticket. And he said, well, I'm driving off. And he drove off because it's not illegal to have a shot of booze and drive something. But whatever. Evidently, it was in that part of the park, Jack. Jack advocating for lawlessness there. If it's a giant rock star who does it, it's shocking. <laughs> John Bon Jovi would never behave like that. No. He's down on the dock. Um, the coronavirus vaccine is 100% effective. Why don't you know that? You should know that. Long article in the Atlantic, of course, was long. That's the only thing. They have no editors. No editors. Never leave anything out, they say. Um, long article in the Atlantic and this guy explaining it. I think we're probably downplaying just how great these vaccines are. Like the numbers that are most reported in the media, the numbers that are most reported in headlines are the efficacy numbers for symptomatic infection. So when you see like, you know, Pfizer, 94%, Moderna, 95%, Johnson, Johnson, 66%, that's efficacy against symptomatic infection. But disease isn't just infection. It's about whether you get the disease, whether you can transmit the disease, and whether it can kill you, right? I mean, people get common colds all the time. No one cares about that infection. And what makes these vaccines so special in a way that I think is really downplayed in the press too often is that they are 100% successful in the trials at blocking hospitalizations and deaths. Not 66, not 95, 100%. Out of 75,000 people that went through these trials, for Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca, Johnson Johnson, Novavax, no one, zero out of 75,000 were hospitalized after four weeks and none of them died in that arm of the trial. That's and unbelievable. these shots are miracles. And so when we're deciding between shots, I, in a way, don't want people looking at these headline figures, 95 versus 66. Look at the number 100. That's how effective these are at blocking hospitalization and death. So he threw in, what, all four or five vaccine names there with with that 72,000 people having gone through the trial. Not one hospitalization, let alone a death. Yeah, that's amazing. How do we not know that? Well, you know what now if you listen to this show, but that's, that's big news. That's huge news. Of course, and it changes all basis for all the emergency powers and closures and shutdowns and schools being closed and the rest of it. So it's it's even more important than the health aspect of it. The policy aspect of it is huge. 
Um, looking up at uh, Good Morning America. I, I bet some... the people in the control group were pretty pissed that they got uh, the placebo, you know, in those trials. Oh, yeah. Huh. Hmm? Didn't give me the sugar shot, you bastard. You. I'm looking up at a Good Morning America, and for some reason they're doing a segment on uh, dating, online dating, for when the coronavirus ends and you need to start dating again or something. I don't yes. know. I don't know what their premise is. But anyway, questions to ask when you start dating. Ask your new person you're going to date, what type of relationship are you looking for? Okay, I suppose that's fair. Thruple. I would, I'm looking for a thruple. <laughs> I wouldn't do that right off the bat, but maybe you're that sort of person. What does love mean to you? Okay. Oh, thruple. That seems like... Can we... D- <laughs> <laughs> Sean, uh, can we decide if we like each other even a yeah. little bit before we talk about that? Uh, this is the question I like. How are you under pressure and during conflict? <laughs> Somebody asked me that question. I would run for the hills. How violent. are you under pressure? And you, Almost you, immediately violent. You wait for them to answer, and then you say, time to test it, and you throw a box of scorpions on them. <laughs> <laughs> I usually wet myself and flap my hands and scream. Is that what you're, Is that the answer you're looking for? I go to pieces. Just what, completely to pieces. What an odd thing to ask somebody on your first date. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty.